And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, where it's Warriors Day, and it's also on Zach Lowe's Amateur Science Hour. Will Andrew Wiggins get the shot day in Golden State? And we're doing a three-man weave with two of the very best in the business, our own Nick Friedel covering the Warriors, also owner of the best laugh since the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, and from The Athletic, a guy who makes us all smarter with his Warriors coverage, Mr. Anthony Slater. Anthony, welcome to the Low Post. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I believe the next seven days are will Andrew Wiggins get the shot day. Oh, good. We can repeat. We can can just keep talking about this. I love talking about COVID. Mr. Friedel, how are you? It is great to be with you, buddy, and especially... Good to be with my man Slater because this is like the Buster's Cheesesteak edition of the Low Post podcast. When Slater and I finish working a game, sometimes he doesn't want to drive back. We go to Buster's Cheesesteaks after the game, get some cheesesteaks and fries and discuss what we have just witnessed. So I feel like we're bringing it to the people, which is a good thing. We have plenty of Warriors conversations. We're just not usually allowed to do it, you know, being recorded publicly. So I am <laughs> enjoying right. this. Let's start with Wiggins. So my understanding is this this regulation in San Francisco takes effect on October 13th, which is two weeks from yesterday, I think. I think if Wiggins gets the Johnson & Johnson shot, again, welcome to Zach's Amateur Epidemiology Hour. If he gets the Johnson & Johnson shot, there's like a two-week lag time between that and when he can do stuff. So they view the next few days today, whatever, as as sort of like go time. Slater, so it's you're telling me it's not just like today's not like a hard deadline. This can keep going. My assumption has been all of these guys, when they see the economic ramifications, are going to do this. The Warriors seem to still think Wiggins is going to do it. Slater, t- take us through the next seven days and like, do you do you hear that same optimism? Yeah, well, to me, like October seventh is a little bit of like the declaration date because their home opener is the twenty first, and that you know you're talking about the Johnson Johnson shot, which is the one that they have given to most of their players and coaches. Um, and seventh to the fourteenth is when he would be eligible. So he's got kind of like a week to, I guess, like declare if he wants to play or not. Because I know it would only be missing one game, but at that point, you're just kind of declaring: Are you part of this season or are you not? Um, and yeah, I. I I'm with you that I've generally sensed optimism, but I sense optimism to the point that they were giving him the chance to try to go through this like religious exemption process. And once the city declined it and the league declined it, their thought was, okay, now he's pretty much probably going to have to get it because of what you said, financial ramifications and just locker room dynamics. But then he went into media day after already getting it, uh, you know, denied and was kind of as stern as I've ever seen Andrew Wiggins in a press conference. So I think not only did that surprise a little of us in the media, I think behind the scenes, there was two things. It was like, wow, that was, you know, Andrew Wiggins kind of had a little bit of a backbone with it. That's good to see from him. But at the same time, they're like, is is our small forward going to be here this season? Well, all right, Fridell, I'm going to get to you now. To to me, like, set aside the public health uh, discussion, which is obviously the most important discussion. This is a big basketball deal for the Warriors because – like Andrew Wiggins, hate Andrew Wiggins, whatever you think of Andrew Wiggins and his contract, because he's he's too Andrew Wiggins is like two separate entities at this point. He's a human being and he's a contract for purposes of discussing him. The guy is a, a good NBA player. Like he's not a bad NBA player. He's an average or good NBA player. And he plays a ton of minutes. He plays every game. And for a team whose second best player, theoretically anyway, is out till Christmas, January, whenever. 
those minutes are a huge deal when you consider the replacement guys are either rookies or Otto Porter or Bielitsa or whoever you want to put in there. Like the drop off is real. The minutes load is real. And that can be the difference between in the Western Conference, I'm in the play in tournament without home court advantage or I'm the third seed or the fifth seed or the fourth seed. Um, Friedel, you also we were talking yesterday. You also remarked on the nature of Wiggins media session the other day on on media day and what you thought um, it indicated about his his sort of um, digesting of the news getting out. Right. Like how the news of his vaccination status got out. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Zach, we were sitting in there and you've got Bob Myers and Steve Kerr and they come up first and they outwardly are very confident. Hey, when push comes to shove, our whole team is going to be out there, which obviously includes Andrew Wiggins. Well, a few hours go by and Wiggins starts his press conference by saying, I want to keep this private. I want to keep this private. And as, as the minutes go by, I'm with Slater. I mean, I've covered Wiggins a little more in Minnesota, and I've never really seen him get upset about anything. Yeah, that's and, right. You're a veteran of Andrew Wiggins from your days on the Bulls suck beat. Like that—that oh. that was a regular—that was a regular stomping ground for you. The, yeah, yeah, that, I, was like, and, that was like the Tibbs slash Bulls suck beat all in one. And and what a time! <laughs> what a time that was. But we're sitting there, and that's as aggravated as I have ever seen him that's probably as aggravated as i've ever seen him on or off the floor uh, about anything and you could tell not only was he starting to get pissed off at the line of questioning by reporters which i had never seen what he was really pissed off about and slater and i talked about it as soon as we walked out of uh, the press conference room was the fact that he was pissed at the organization he was really upset that the information had gotten out, and he made reference to it a couple times and saying, look, uh, I don't want to talk about it now, but I'm sure you guys will, will find out what I have to say in a few hours. And for an organization that prides itself on being so pro-player and always protecting its players and always having – uh, this opportunity to be the beacon in the NBA of of being anything that, that players could want for Wiggins, of all people, to come down as hard as he did, I think that's where uh, the fracture was uh, and, and continues to be. And on top of all of that, as you said, I mean, the key here is that the Warriors need him. And I say this as somebody that didn't think that Wiggins – was going to perform that much better in Golden State as we had seen in Minnesota. But he really played well last year. He really fit in nicely into the locker room. And he's a guy with the uncertainty around Clay that they need to fill the role that he was in and play all those minutes. So there are a lot of different dynamics here. But the biggest takeaway I know for both of us was that he was really upset at the fact that he had to defend himself in that manner because he never expected his decision to get out to that point. I don't want to spend too much time on this because, again, I'm assuming it gets resolved. But Slater, you did mention, like, you know, this today may not be the deadline. The seventh may be more of the quote-unquote de declaration day, I think you called it. But you mentioned, like, it's not just can I do it in time to play home game number one. It's sort of like can I do it in time to indicate to everyone else that I want to be part of the team? And I understand that this is a very complicated issue for some people. It wasn't a complicated issue for me. It's not been a complicated issue for anyone in my family. I went and got vaccinated on the first possible day I could, the whole thing. 
Um, for Andrew Wiggins, it's different. It's it's a complicated issue, whatever. Do you sense, Anthony, like some inside the organization, imp- I guess yeah, I was going to say impatience might be a strong word, impatience with like, hey, man, like we finished last year 15 and 5 in our last 20 games. Clay's coming back. Steph proved he's still an MVP. Draymond is a, what did he finish, third in defensive player of the year voting? Like Draymond is still Draymond in that regard. Like we're trying to win – like we have real championship ambitions here, particularly with Jamal Murray's uncertain health, Kawhi Leonard's uncertain health. Like we feel like we got a window. Is there some impatience? Like can can you get with us, man? Yeah, yeah, it's growing. Um, there was like a moment. I I used to cover the Thunder, and there was a moment with Reggie Jackson in the year they ended up having to trade Reggie Jackson, where Troy Weaver, who's now obviously the Detroit GM, he was uh, the Thunder assistant GM at the time. There was a moment in the locker room that's kind of famous there, where he. He yelled at the whole team, but he, it was clearly directed to Reggie Jackson. It was like, you're either in the boat or you're out. And that is where I feel like it's getting with the Warriors. Like, you're either in or you're out. Like, you kind of got to declare on the season. And if your stance is you're out, they have to, re, you know, they kind of have to readjust plans to not just the point of like, hey, you know, on road games, they're going to have Andrew Wiggins. On home games, they're not. That's just not tenable. Like, they're going to have to, I mean, probably shop him to be honest with you. And Zach, I mean, maybe we could get the hypotheticals of, of what type of value you could get out there um, because he technically could play for 27 other teams, like all 82 games, which is like a weird part of this scenario. Not only could he just play, they could technically trade him to the Clippers and he could play on opening night in Chase Center for the Clippers, even though he cannot play for the Warriors. So I'm not ready for an Andrew Wiggins trade value discussion unless it's linked to the Ben Sims. I just I can't do it. Not even on Zach's <laughs> amateur epidemiology hour. I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. You're like Bob Myers right now. And that essentially what you are expressing there is what they're expressing. Like they don't want to have this Andrew Wiggins discussion. They built this entire team with the idea that they were getting 34 average minutes per night at the wing. And, and they could just pencil it in. Andrew Wiggins has only missed 19 games in, in his entire career. Like you said earlier, he doesn't miss games. They were penciling that in. They do not want to have the Andrew Wiggins trade discussion as much as you don't. But you don't get the shot by the seventh. You got to have the discussion. This is so fun, these basketball podcasts that are just not about basketball anymore. So let's talk about basketball. Uh, how about that for a novel concept? Let's talk about basketball. One of the reasons I wanted to have you guys on, and, and one of the reasons I think this Wiggins thing is is important basketball-wise, is I'm higher than consensus on the Warriors. I think there is a universe, and again, it gets tiresome to say, it really all depends on Clay. Clay, um, Clay makes this team complete clay is the guy who sort of locks everything into place with his off ball movement and his shooting and 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 we'll see what his defense looks like i I think there is easily a universe in which if clay is 90 percent of clay by the end of the season this team i think they could win the west like i think i i wouldn't pick them but i think they could absolutely challenge to win the west and i say that for for this reason last year they were 20th in offense and fifth in defense There's nothing on paper, and I looked at all the shot selection stuff and all the metrics, there's nothing to indicate that there was something fake about that defense. Their defense was really good. It was solid. It was sound. Maybe it's not fifth, but it's top ten level. I think this is a real good defensive team as long as Draymond is healthy. Like, that dude is a genius still. He's amazing still. I voted him second defensive player of the year. I thought about voting him first. That's how good I thought he was last year. Their offense crept up all season long, and – if you look at the numbers, I mean, you guys know the numbers. Anthony, you wrote about this yesterday. Steph and Draymond plus seven per 100 possessions. Steph and Draymond without Wiseman 
plus 12 per 100 possessions. Steph, Draymond, and Looney, plus 16 per 100 possessions. The nucle- Now, you can dismiss those as sample size, even though they're pretty big. But the minute they pivoted from, because of injury, from this sort of, hey, we're trapped in between development and winning and, and big ball and the way we played with Draymond at center a lot and we trust Kevon Looney and, and all that, the minute they pivoted from being straddling two lines to just going one direction, they got really good. And they showed that the way they can – this nucleus showed they can play the way Steve Kerr wants to play, the way Steph, I think, wants to play, the way the Warriors have won and won and won and flummoxed the rest of the league. I think there's something there. I think Clay coming back is obviously a game changer. I believe in Juan Toscano Anderson, Jordan Poole surged toward the end of the year. We'll see what the kids do. Like, I, I think this team has the goods to be a problem. Nick, I'll start with you. Are you as optimistic as me or am I, am I pie in the sky? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, Shocker. I'm not, Shocker. Mr. Lowe. And, and this is another conversation that uh, happens many, many times over cheesesteaks in the last year because I went to those games last season and I saw a team that was trying to find its way. And I, I think in the context of what you just described, it also helped that uh, as far as uh, from a basketball perspective – when Kelly Oubre finally got hurt and they didn't have to try and plug him into the starting lineup and they could play the style that they were used to playing, that's when they kind of took off more because Oubre just did not fit. His game and what he wanted to do offensively especially did not fit in the way that they were used to. But as far as is the that, Warriors... Is that an indictment of Oubre or is that an indictment of the Warriors? I think Kelly Oubre is a good player and I, and I don't think it should be like this hard to fit. Slater, you want to you want to answer this? I can tell. Yeah, it's the stubbornness of Steve Kerr, um, which they, I guess, played into this summer. Kelly Oubre could not fit in Steve Kerr's style, and it's you know it, a lot of times it gets pinned on Steve Kerr. It's how Steph Curry wants to play too. You know, Steph Curry wants you yeah. to know exactly when to pin down screen and exactly when you need to cut and hey, come use my gravity. All right, now slip screen and like guys like JTA, guys like Otto Porter, Andre Iguodala, who are back this season, they're better at it. Guys like Kelly Oubre, James Wiseman, another example of a guy who just kind of wants his like isolation mid-post touch. They couldn't really fit into what Draymond, Steph, and Steve Kerr wanted to do. And, um, you know, maybe that's not as flexible as you'd like to be. Maybe that's not, a, you know, Steve Kerr's coaching isn't as flexible as Greg Popovich, one of his mentors, has shown to be over the years to kind of rearrange around personnel. Steve Kerr kind of decided, no, nah, I want to just do what I do best. Now get me players that do what they do best around Steph and Draymond. So, uh, Zach, I think you're right that it is kind of an indictment a little bit on the Warriors, but I think they've leaned into who they are a lot more this season. All right, Nick, continue with your – I'm just going to call it what it is. Continue with your hating. Continue with your hating there on the Warriors. Go. Yeah, e- Eeyore. Eeyore is it's been uh, – Eeyore is the best character to. on Winnie the Pooh. I will not have Eeyore besmirched on this podcast. <laughs> uh, Eeyore is the best Winnie the Pooh character. I have had friends and ex-girlfriends compare me to Eeyore. One of them, my college girlfriend – uh, even gave me an Eeyore stuffed animal because I was so such a mopey college kid. So no besmirching of Eeyore. Eeyore is the best Winnie the Pooh character, period. You, you, you know what's so classic is that we've known each other 10, 12 years now. It started at that magical uh, Orlando airplane hangar the way Dwight back Howard, in the, the day. The Dwight Howard All-Star Party. For That's exactly place. right. Bottom That's five exactly party right. I've ever been to. Bottom five party. <laughs> Bottom five. Wow. But you and I both, I guess, have had ex-girlfriends who have called us Eeyore. So what a what a <laughs> what a combo pack there. 
But as far as my eagerness with the Warriors, the only thing that really scares me, it's not that I don't think they're going to the playoffs again. They are. It's not that I don't think they can win a series. I do. I just saw how much of a reliance there was on Steph and how, for the most part, aside from that weird fall when he fell in Houston and messed up his tailbone, he was healthy. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, Steph is still awesome. And certainly if Clay is close and he gets better throughout the season, once he comes back, that is going to be a gigantic help. I just don't see a team, especially with the limitations that Draymond has offensively, that can lift themselves from out of the playoffs in this case, all the way through the West again. And what scares me in the short term and who knows? I, you know, there, there's so much uh, consternation out here in the Bay about, well, what's Wiseman going to be? And and there are people that are saying, oh, you know, I, I don't know if he's ever going to turn into what they hope. Nobody knows for sure. And there's still plenty of time to figure that out. But my my real scary issue for this group right now is what is this bench? Because I'm, I still think Wiseman is at least a few years off. Who knows with Kaminga and Moody at least this season? And then you add Andre, who is beloved within the organization, but I, I watched him those last couple of years in Miami. I'm not sure how much uh, left on a nightly basis he's going to be able to give him. And you have Otto Porter and Bialica. And I don't see a group as a whole that can improve that much to the level that you're talking about is it out of the realm I guess not if Steph plays at that same level I'm just not as high seeing the moves around Steph as a lot of people seem to be Slater are you Tigger to, to Nick's Eeyore are you Christopher Robin sort of a centrist are you Piglet just a little frightened of everything <laughs> which character are you in relation to Fridell a centrist so I guess Christopher Robin I can see the optimist path but so much has to go right. You know, Otto Porter has to be in shape. Clay Thompson obviously has to come back quicker and better than I, I think is probably going to happen. I do think the young guys would have to give something. Um, but the West is down. You know, I think some of the optimism, and Zach, maybe this is part of yours, like I just kind of think the contenders in the West, I think the Lakers kind of, you know, they kind of hamstrung themselves as a playoff team, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, Jamal Murray's status, Paul George, or I mean, Kawhi Leonard's status. Like, the West is very unsettled, and, and that, to me, creates a path if so much goes right for the Warriors. But I do think that the, the idea that, well, they, they, they tried this develop Wiseman while winning thing last year, and it didn't work, and they're completely scrapping it. Like, now nah, they got three lottery rookies or you know i'm considering wiseman a rookie essentially a second year player but they got I think, and i think that's fair by the way given yeah. given the coronavirus given his lack of college play i think that's what he is yeah so essentially three lottery rookies on the team that have high expectations from ownership and the front office that there is going to be some push and pull particularly when wiseman's fully healthy to you know, integrate Kaminga, get him some minutes. Moody, can he be a rotation player? Wiseman, you know, try to fit him back in and play some big minutes with Wiseman because they want to see him develop because their vision is those guys will eventually take the mantle and become the next version of this franchise. Um, so this idea that they're just going to bench those guys at the end and just play the style that they want, like there's a little bit more of a tug and war organizationally that is going to linger over this season than I think 
we might see in the first couple of weeks while Wiseman's still rehabbing. Yeah, I think Wiseman will play. But I also think they're going to start Looney. They're going to, you wrote about this yesterday, they're going to play Draymond at center a lot. And so he kind of fits in as the bridge between Looney and the Draymond at center lineups. That could be four minutes in the second quarter, four minutes late in the third quarter, early fourth quarter, whatever. It doesn't have to be a lot of minutes. I am curious, uh, Anthony, like um, one of the big things to watch with this team always is, particularly before Clay comes back, is how are they going to survive when Curry rests? And and is Wiseman going to be a part of those lineups, or are they going to go small for those periods with Draymond at center? How do you see them handling that? Because they were good with Curry on the floor last season, as you know well know, their offense went to crap without him, and they couldn't score any points. I would say that is reliant on maybe the most underrated factor of the season for them, which is Jordan Poole. The, and, and their belief that Jordan Poole is going to be really good. Um, and he might have to start, by the way, well, at least part of the time. I think he and Damian Lee, one of those guys, is going to start, correct? Yeah, and Kerr has labeled going into camp uh, Jordan Poole. That's his gut feeling that he's going to end up starting Jordan Poole. I think he's ready to play Jordan Poole 30 minutes a game. Uh, and I think their belief is like Jordan Poole could be like a 17-point-per-game scorer on like relatively good efficiency and and is getting better defensively because he's getting stronger. And just, you know, th- there's a path to him. You know, this might sound way too optimistic and, you know, Yes, engage Tigger gear. Let's go. Yeah, Tigger's like 65 wins. Let's go. Like that there's a path to like a CJ McCollum level offensive player eventually in oh my career. Oh my gosh. That's like, you know, it's like it's like not all-star, but like, you know, that, that kind of player. And like, you know, we saw what he did down the stretch. I mean, they went 6-0 and on that homestand down the stretch and then obviously had those two playing games. Those were like eight high-level games, including wins over the Jazz and Suns, where he scored 20 off the bench in both those games. He had a 38-point game. He was just legitimately good the last part of the season and good in basically playoff atmospheres. I mean, when they played in Staples Center in the playoff game, They've likened that to like a West Finals game. And Jordan Poole was like good and ready and like confident in that moment. And, and that earned Steve Kerr's trust. That earned Draymond Green and Steph Curry's trust. And I think the belief is they can survive better in the pool minutes because or in the non-Curry minutes because it will be pool out there. Maybe eventually Wiseman as a pick and roll partner. And they better simplify James Wiseman's role this season to just go out there, run pick and rolls. And then, you know, maybe Clay will be out there eventually. And suddenly it's like a pool Clay, James Wiseman trio. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? Full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, 
Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. I'm going to read you some numbers, Nick, and you tell me which of these is, is most likely to change this season. When you look at their offense, which again, ranked 20th, and even as they were like soaring toward the end of the year, it was like 13th, 14th, 15th. They shot the ball well. They shot a ton of threes. They got to the rim a fair bit. Then you look at the other parts of offense. For the season, they were 20th in free throw rate, so not enough free throws. 24th in turnover rate. Now, that's a Warriors thing. We're just turning the ball over. We're throwing lefty behind the back passes with the championship on the line along the sideline. That's just how we are. We don't get the good stuff without the little circus act. Okay, so maybe that doesn't change. And, and 30th in offensive rebounding. They were also 20, what were they, 22nd in defensive rebounding. So they were the, maybe the worst rebounding team in the league. Take the offense, rebounding, free throws, turnovers. What of that, which of those, if any, is most changeable for them? Because if they can just get better at one of those things, that's like a couple of places in the offensive rankings, a couple of points you scrounge out when you're just dying to get some offense and it helps you win. Fidel, I'll start with you. What can we, what can we expect? I'll take the rebounding only because this ties directly back into Wiseman and what kind of Wiseman that we may or may not see. And part of the reason that I am not as optimistic is because I watched Wiseman in that rookie year when he was on the floor, and the talent is there. I mean, he's still 20 years old. He's got talent uh, getting up and down the floor and length, and, and we saw him the other day, and he's noticeably bigger. It looks like he's he's been in the weight room and he's put on uh, a couple pounds. He just does not know where to be. And I cannot tell you how many times last year we're sitting in there and we're watching him not know where to go uh, rotationally, defensively, and he gets pulled out of the game and his shoulders are slumped and he's walking back to the bench. And I think there was a frustration. You could tell when when Steve Kerr's looking over at his assistants, like, oh, man, <laughs> it just hasn't clicked in. So if you're buying that the Warriors can be better, and in this case, you're buying that the rebounding numbers can be a little bit better and everything can click, then what you're really buying on top of Slater's point about pool is that Wiseman can take that leap from a, a basketball IQ standpoint in learning the NBA game. And so I think it is within him. Uh, I'm just not sure for him this year, again, with no training camp and again, having to kind of learn from the side what we can expect from him, especially in those first few months when he's back. Slater? I don't think they're going to be a good rebounding team at all because I think they're going to play Draymond at center most of the time and JTA is going to be out there and they're going to be trying to hold off seven footers with six foot five guys essentially on the front line. And I think they're okay with being a bad rebounding team. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the turnover rate. I think part of their, their turnover issues last year were, you know, Nick mentioned why they not know where to be. Kelly Oubre didn't know where to be. A lot of their offensive players out there were running into each other. There was just, there was such 
um, you know, like record scratches on offense at, at times. And I, I just think maybe because there's just kind of higher IQ players within Kerr's system uh, that'll be out there uh, making it up. I just think maybe maybe you sharpen up there. I think they're going to shoot better. You know, they they, uh, you know, added the elites, a Porter. Uh, and obviously, Clay at some point is going to come back. Have you have you guys been able to see any practice yet? A little bit, you know. They let us in, and it, but it, you know what it is. It's mostly like you know individual work. Like how do Por- uh, Porter and Bayalitsa? Like everyone's really excited about them because they're names, right? Like, and I keep saying Otto Porter's played like basically no games in two years, like a very small amount of games. He was out of shape last year. Like he was the, he might've been the most obviously out of shape player in the NBA last year. Like everybody saw it. Everybody yeah. texted about it. Everybody talked about it. And Bayelitsa couldn't crack the rotation for like, uh, like after a decent year with the Kings fell out of favor there, couldn't crack the rotation in Miami. Like what's the initial buzz about, which of those guys, if either, are like ready to play 18 minutes on opening night? Well, Porter made a comment at Media Day that he'd been back for a month and all he'd been doing is working with like the, the nutrition and training staff on getting his body right, which, which says two things. They've identified it, obviously. They should have. Um, but also that like, you know, a month ago, he still had a long way to go. Uh, we'll see. Apparently, that you know, from what I've heard, his corner three has been really good. He's been shooting it really well. He's a really good shooter. Yeah. He's a really yeah. good catch and shoot guy. Which, you know, that doesn't necessarily you don't have to be in great shape to shoot the corner three. You have to be in great shape to defend in their style that they want to defend. So we'll see on him. I mean, he's one of the guys I'm watching, I'd say, in the preseason. Uh, Bielitsa, I'd say the argument for Bielitsa maybe having a better chance to crack the the Warriors rotation is they the Warriors do not have the uh, conditioning requirements that the Miami Heat do and I and I believe a, a, a lot of the reason Bielitsa fell out of favor in Miami is because he was not Miami Heat ready and uh, I just uh, you know we'll see how it works I kind of think he's a specialist to be honest I I don't know that he's going to get a ton of minutes he will it'll be the first time in a while Draymond's had a five next to him that could shoot it which will be good I mean that fits uh, but I, I'm kind of with you I I thought those signings were a bit overrated the the best description i heard on porter was this is a lotto ticket you roll the dice and you hope that he can rehabilitate his own game and he can get into that shape that they're going to need him to be and it's worth a risk when he's on a vet minimum but we were sitting next to each other zach in that press conference room and we saw porter come in and we're like Okay, <laughs> like he looks like he's in shape. Now, how that translates and what that means, we'll see. But it, it was noticeable given what everybody saw last season. Hey, by the way, Slater, I bet you've seen this stat before because I know you're always digging around the lineup numbers. Curry and Poole together, do you know yeah. the number? Uh, they were pl- uh, 17 net rating, something like that. Like, what is it? 18 plus 18 per 100 possessions plus 99 points in 221 minutes. I looked at it, I was like, I gotta, I gotta check that again. That's a, that's a big number. By the way, they still have a roster spot open, and they've got Avery Bradley, Langston Galloway. I guess Mulder is it is part of that deal. Do we have a sense of what a are they going to fill it? Because that is a lot of money for Mister Lakeup. And b if they fill it, why isn't it just Avery Bradley? Why what, is he's fallen off so far that he just can't help a team anymore? Like he's my favorite of these guys. Jordan Bell's in there. Like what what's going to happen with that? Because with Clay out. With Wiggins, who knows? With all these guys we just talked about being question marks and the young guys, like they need – that spot should be used on a guy who can give them 12 minutes. 
Yeah, somebody said, yeah, maybe the 15th roster spot, but it's really like the 9th, 10th, 11th man in the rotation, probably. Um, and what you said is, like, you know, we talk about this organizational tug of war that's going on. I mean, it would cost Joe Lacob a ton of tax money, but Steph Curry does not care about his tax money. Steph Curry would like Avery Bradley, theoretically, who used to guard him maybe better than any guard in the league on his roster and if it's not avery bradley to me the other favorite is gary payton the second who you didn't mention oh the mitten i forgot yeah. about the mitten yes yes the, the mitten. mitten exactly <laughs> he, he's turned into a, a pretty good player and that's to me what they need in the rotation because they lost baysmore they lost Ubre. those were kind of their you know they had a lot of flaws but that was their like pick up a guard full court if the mitten got a thousand minutes in the nba he would make an all defense team he may be the best defensive guard in professional basketball like that's how good that dude is defensively he just does nothing on offense and never plays zach Lowe, you may have just gotten the mitten a roster spot with that comment because there will probably be some people listening to that and i you know the coaches love him there was i remember i was talking to one of the coaches in summer league they put they played the magic and um you know, Jalen Suggs had had a really good night and Cole Anthony had went like, you know, two of 12 or something like that. And I was talking to them about like, man, you know, Cole Anthony went or had a rough night and, and Jalen Suggs didn't. They were like, man, maybe we should have put Gary on, uh, you know, Jalen instead of Cole. But then they're like, well, there's a reason Cole went two of 12 and it's purely just Gary Payton. Like he locks people up. And for that, like that to me is what they needed the 15th spot maybe even over avery bradley who used to do that but the problem is avery bradley used to do that gary payton kind of does that now and the, there's one other thing to add to that point steph made it very clear as far as the money goes and what uh, may or may not be spent that he expects joe lakeup and this ownership group to spend and spend and spend as they have and as they've gained that reputation through the years. So if you have Steph <laughs> making it known that, hey, uh, we need to fill this spot and, and we need to use the money where we can, I, I think that in the end, uh, that voice is, of course, the most powerful one there is. If you will indulge me in a purely theoretical discussion, sometimes I dip my toe into Warriors Twitter just to peek. What are they? Get what out. Are they? Get out. Oh, wait. I just, what are they yelling about? Who's yelling? Oh, my God. Okay. Warrior, the Warriors fans have gone. I, I actually think I give them a lot of credit. They have, they have mirrored the transition of the franchise from lovable laughingstock to dynastic powerhouse in their sophistication of debates and the, the vitriol they directed each other. It's a really interesting and sometimes ugly place. Uh, a lot of the, the debates have been centered around Ben Simmons recently. And you had Joe Lacob come out and get fined for basically saying, we don't think this guy fits on our team because he's Draymond 2.0. And then you had Steph come out and say, essentially, well, if we're not having those kind of discussions, then, you know, what, what are we doing? Of course, we should be looking at all of those kinds of things. Um, and that has set off a big debate over whether now who knows? I don't think they've really had a lot of, if any, substantive talks with the Philadelphia 76ers. Let me make that clear. I don't know that there's been any. I mean, I don't even know if these reports that the Sixers asked for 9,000 draft picks and the picks that became coming about. I don't know how accurate that is. Probably somewhat accurate at the very least. I don't think there's really been much there. I don't know that there'll ever be anything there. Maybe that I think there had the potential to be something there if the Warriors really opened up the Brinks truck and said, here's a lot of picks, here's a lot of young players, and here's Wiggins. Um, there could be something there. Just, uh, Fredell, I'll start with you. Do you buy Ben Simmons as a fit 
assuming Draymond, Clay, Steph are all there after this theoretically theoretical trade that almost probably will not happen. I think he could be. I'm just not sure if he takes them to some next level. And I thought what was noticeable the other day is that Bob Myers was asked and about Simmons, but obviously didn't want to uh, discuss him directly because he didn't want to get fined. But he he said, "I believe that this is our team." Yeah, he was the Eeyore of trade talks. He was like he was the, he was the Eeyore of the trade discussion. Very much so. <laughs> and, and but I thought it I thought it was uh, it was it was very noteworthy because. Bob, at least in my dealings over three years being out here, is probably the, the most honest executive that I've dealt with on a regular basis. Slater uh, has has been out here a little more and seen it, but he, he's almost honest to a fault. So the fact that he said what he said ties into what what we believe and and certainly what what you and I have talked about, which is do I think there's still some chance maybe? Uh, sure, I, I wouldn't rule it completely out, but I don't think there's much uh, push behind it right now. And even if they were to swing all the way and try to acquire him uh, down the line, I'm not sure how much better he makes them given what they'd have to give up to make it happen. I just think it's an interesting basketball discussion more than I'm not even all that interested in uh, whether the trade's going to happen and not going to happen, what the pieces would be, blah, blah. blah. I just think because Draymond is such a unique player and because Simmons is such a unique player and really because Steph and Clay are such unique players, I think it's interesting to think about and conceptualize. Anthony, where do you stand? I think that they would, if let's say they theoretically gave Wiggins, Kaminga, Wiseman for uh, Ben Simmons, they're a better team this season because, you know, we don't, we all don't think Wiseman and Kaminga are going to give them much right now. And then I think Ben Simmons, even though he's a he's a stranger rotational fit than Wiggins, because Wiggins kind of is the plug and play three. Ben Simmons is just better than Andrew Wiggins at basketball. And you would have to do some creative coaching stuff. I, I think offensively, Steve Kerr might, uh, you know, have some just have some stuff to solve. But they would be supercharged defensively, and you know. You, offensively out in transition some of the some of the read and react stuff like Ben Simmons fits that style now I think Ben Simmons fits that style Draymond Green is off the court and then suddenly Ben Simmons is like a younger version of that um but the the two problems are number one from an ownership level from a front office level I don't think particularly Joe Lacob who's made this very clear he doesn't he's not trying to maximize this season's team by giving up Wiseman and Kaminga he views Wiseman as coming as the bridge to the future. So, you know, getting this team a little bit better this season is not necessarily top priority from an ownership level. And then I think there are uh, decision makers that are not Joe Lacob who just don't really think it's as good a fit as maybe some of us do or don't even kind of want to go through that challenge. Yeah, there's no question that they're divided internally on the fundamental basketball part of this. I, I just love to think about it because they are such unique players, I am bullish on how it would work with the caveat, and it's not even a caveat, with the structural requirement that you'd have to play a non-traditional center or no center at all with that group. Because if you have Kevon Looney clogging the lane and James Wiseman clogging the lane, then it becomes a problem. You'd have to lean all the way into whatever version of five out that is. But why I'm bullish, and I see the overlap between, you know, Draymond shooting with the backpack on, Ben Simmons not shooting ever at all. Like, I get it. I get the overlap. But I think 
what people are sort of overlooking when they stop the analysis there. And again, we can all disagree. We're all we're all just doing the best we can. This is this is a theoretical that's fun to think about. And we don't know how it would turn out. Right. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying the critics are right. I don't know. But I think what people overlook is Steph and Clay are the two greatest shooters ever. Period. End of story. Not only that, that alone gives you a leeway and a luxury to build your team with different sorts of players because of the shooting that those two guys give you. Not only that, they get their shots, so many of them, off movement and screening action, side-to-side action. No team ever, ever has been better equipped to swallow a big guy who can't, and this is what Simmons and Draymond Green would be in this situation, a big guy who can't or won't shoot than these Warriors because – if you ignore if, if Draymond is screening for Clay on one side and uh, Simmons's guy is clogging lane on the other side, well then Steph just runs off Simmons either on a handoff or a screen and he's wide open. Like this is what the Warriors have been doing for years and years and years. And I just think yes, there would be hiccups, yes, there would be overlap. But when you combine the passing, I mean Draymond and Simmons are two of the fifteen best passers in the NBA at, at minimum. I don't know. I, I mean at worst, and two of the five best defenders in the NBA, something like that. When you combine all of that, as long as the fifth piece can shoot, I think that they would overcome that skill overlap. And and between the side-to-side movement, how Steph and Clay play, how they shoot, the degree to which both Draymond and Simmons are great read-and-react players after setting screens and keeping the ball moving, I'm more I'm optimistic that it could work. And I think it I think there's an upside in which it works really, really well and is super fun to watch. I don't know if they'd hit that upside, but I'm not I'm certainly far from the people who just see the skill similarities and dismiss it out of hand. Do you think you could play them both at the end of games together? Draymond I, and Simmons. I do. I do. Again, it's a fifth guy can shoot. I do. And obviously defensively you could. They'd be hard as hell to play against and to scheme against and to score against. Um, you know, I think there there's there's a world where suddenly they're deep in a West Finals against a bad matchup and, and they're playing hot potato and and we're all right and oh this didn't work. But at the same time, like I mean I would favor them to at least get to the West Finals within this scenario. It's the thing, thing, like everyone's always yeah. like, well what happens with Simmons doesn't shoot in the West Finals? And my thing would be what if you never get to the West Finals? Yeah. Like you, you got to get there before these problems can hurt you. Well, it's like the 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 argument, like why the Kings. I think the Kings should trade for him. Maybe even swap Fox for him. You know, p- some people might disagree with me, but it's like you know, the Kings haven't been to the playoffs in 15 years. If Ben Simmons just gets you to the playoffs, even if he has a in, a hiccup in the playoffs, hey Sacramento, you're in the playoffs. And I think there's a little of that with the Warriors of like you, you know. Maybe in the NBA Finals, Ben Simmons, you know, has a moment that that makes you lose the finals. You're not getting there, I don't think, with this current roster. We'll see. Quick hitters, 30 seconds apiece. Fidel, start with you. Reasonable, optimistic finish for the Warriors, assuming relative good health for Klay Thompson when he comes back. Reasonable, optimistic season outcome. Four or five seed, win a first round, and get knocked out in the second. Anthony? You said reasonable optimist. So remember, this is the optimist. I do think their 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 ceiling in the regular season because of the lack of clay and the choppiness of it will be four, five, six, as you said. But then a very dangerous four, five, six seed in the West that I do think is down. Um, so I think you know West Finals even even a danger to 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 get to the finals if Clay really um, you know shows out. I I'm not picking it at all. 
but you're t- like by the time April, May, no, you June just picked it. Out. We're going to edit this out that you just picked no, the Warriors to win no, the championship. No, no, <laughs> I think Phoenix is being underrated. That might be my pick in the West. But are we doing the pessimistic side? Are we doing the Eeyore side? We should probably. All right, talk. yeah. Well, let's end with because I am a pessimist. Let's end with pessimism. Okay, you can go first. Give me the pessim. What's the pessimistic scenario? Clay comes. I guess this includes Clay comes back. He's just seventy percent of Clay he's by the JJ end of the Redick season. JJ Redick, or something. You know, he's like kind of JJ Redick style. Uh, Steph doesn't have as good of a uh, you know health season as maybe he did last season. The the young guys show no development, which would be a major problem organizationally because what we haven't mentioned, they jump started their developmental staff with Kenny Atkinson, Milivojevic, um, and. and so like that would be a problem organizationally if the young guys don't show development. So young guys don't, they, they still sit in the play in mix and maybe they have another disaster play in and they don't even technically make the playoffs for a third straight season. Nick, I assume your ER prediction is like worst team in the NBA, worse than the thunder. <laughs> and then, and then don't get the lottery pick. They get fifth in the lottery. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I still have a hard time believing that this team, if, if Steph, even if he misses some time, but if he stays relatively healthy, that they are going to miss the playoffs. I know uh, there is uh, some pessimism uh, on some sides that they're just still not good enough. I I don't buy that. I think they're going to the postseason. But Zach, this is why I have I've always believed that in the end, the Warriors' best chance for a title or or for this rebirth that we're discussing. If we're we're putting our optimistic hats on, uh, comes next season because you see what Clay is and you believe that Steph, no matter what kind of year he has, can still stretch out the prime that he showed he's still in last year. So no matter what happens this year, as interesting as it may be, I think we're looking at a Warriors team next year that comes in with a better chance. On top of the fact, then you can get in maybe different veterans who believe they're closer and can see Clay looking more like Clay after a year back from those two injuries. Fair enough. Um, you guys both do an incredible job covering this team. You have your own styles, you have your own voices, and it, it's just I read everything you guys do. I listen to as much of it as I can. Thank you for your hard work. Thank you for coming on, and I hope to see you at both of you at the Chase Center or somewhere else this season. Anthony Slater, read you at The Athletic. Nick Friedel of ESPN, read and listen to you here. Thank you guys very much. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having us. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP 
and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's move on. I'm very excited for this. Very, very excited. Yesterday, I wrote a big piece on what I think is sort of one of the unsaid, unanalyzed, huge questions in the NBA, which is, hey, remember the Spurs who were like the model franchise for 30 years? Um, what are what are they doing? DeMar DeRozan's gone. The Marcus Aldridge's gone. Rudy Gay gone. Patty Mills, the last non-pop link to the 2014 beautiful game NBA champions. He's gone. Manu Ginobili's back as a special advisor, but the Spurs... The Spurs, the gold standard, are in the wilderness. And when I think of the Spurs, the first person I think of is Tim Duncan. Number two, Greg Popovich. Number three, Manu Ginobili. Number four, the Coyote. Only think of the Coyote with his pants on. Don't go the other way. (laughs) Don't go the other way. It's dangerous. And number five, multiple time. New York Times bestselling author of the rap year book, basketball and other things, movies and other things, essay collections on The Office, Scrubs, my former Grantland.com colleague, currently the host of the No Skips podcast, the one and only Shea Serrano. How are you, Shay? Yeah, baby. What an introduction. I love it. I'm so excited that I made the top five, beating out Tony Parker, David Robinson. Terry Cummings, Willie Anderson, Sean Elliott, Vinny Del Negro. I beat out so many people. I'm feeling real good right now, Zach. Real good. Brent Brent Barry? Brent Barry? Dunk champion? Come on. A, I beat out a, Brent Barry. A, Brett Brown? Yeah, there's a lot. You beat out a lot. Tony Parker surprised me. When you said Tony Parker, I like, wow, she beat Tony <laughs> Parker. What does that say about me? Does it say anything about Tony Parker? I don't know what it says. Um, Shay, how, how mm-hmm. are you doing? How do you feel about you were on top for so long? This mm-hmm. this was the gold. This was the Patriots of the NBA. Right, right, from right. From David to Tim to Manu to Tony to Kawhi, and then uh oh, and and now it's sort of like what what exactly is this day of all these young guys? Do they have an all star among these young guys? If they don't, what does that mean? Are they are they just going to be like a normal NBA franchise now, struggling to get out of mediocrity? Like what is the what do you think of your Spurs? I think. I think we're in a tough spot right now. I was just talking about this exact thing with my cousin the other day. We went to lunch. And for so many years, when we had Tim Duncan, 19 or so years, every year that he put the jersey on, we felt like we had a chance to win the title. And that's like a, there's like a very good part of that, obviously, is you have the chance to win the title. But also there's like a, a baked in automatic amount of pressure. Because if you don't win the title, then the year was not successful. So you get into the playoffs and, and, and it's a little less fun when you have to deal with that part of it because you're like, dang, if we lose to the Warriors, if we lose to the Lakers, if we lose to the Mavericks, whatever, it's going to hurt real bad. And so when Timmy retired, there was a couple of years where we didn't have to worry about that. And it felt good to just be like, if we beat the Rockets in the second round of the playoffs, that's as good as it gets right there. Like, we're good. This is a successful year. But I do, I'm beginning now this year, last year, beginning to miss that high-stakes basketball. I'm beginning to miss that feeling in, at the top of your stomach when the game is about to start, and you're like, oh, I hope it's one of those good nights. You know what I'm saying? I miss that. Of course. Of I course. When I was Back when I was a hardcore New York Mets fan, meaningful games, anything game against the Yankees, playoff games mm-hmm. against the Braves, mm-hmm. I needed to watch those games by myself. No one else was allowed to be with me exactly. because it was not going to exactly. go well for the other people <laughs> if, the Mets, if the Mets lost. If Armando Benitez blew a save, it was not going to go well <laughs> for, for anybody. Um, let's talk about Kawhi because 
Durant signing with the Warriors is this great what-if moment. And it's always talked about, well, what if he didn't sign there? What would that have meant for the Thunder? Would they mm-hmm. still would they all still would would they still be Durant and Russ would still be there? Who knows? What would it have meant for the Cleveland Cavaliers who had great teams after the 2016 championship year, but just ran into this juggernaut of a team? It, it's never talked about what it would it have meant for the Spurs. Mm. In 2016, mm. the Spurs win 67 games with Lamarcus Aldridge, fresh off free agency, you know, going to the Spurs, lose to the Thunder in the conference semifinals. Tim's last year. Mm-hmm. 2017, they won 61 games, are rolling in Golden State in game yeah, one we before before Zaza steps on Kawhi's foot. And and they lose that series. And I don't think they would have won that series had Kawhi stayed healthy. That's a, that's the Durant, that's the Apex Durant Warriors team. And then the Kawhi situation goes haywire mm-hmm. for reasons that we still like are still only kind of partially clear. What if I like who knows what happens if they win the championship that year? Like the, the, no one ever talks about that. So do you think about that? What if and and what is are we are you guys in San Antonio just over Kawhi now? Is 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 it <laughs> this this wandering this wandering into the wilderness kind of just re highlights what an incredible trade that was to get Kawhi mm-hmm. for George Hill and how it had set them up to be at the top of the league for like 30 years, and now that's all been ripped away from you. Yeah, that's exactly what we were thinking. Once Kawhi made the leap, we were like, oh, shoot, we got another guy. We got another guy. We're going to do this for 15 more years. It's going to be great. The Zaza thing happens. They lose that series, um, and then everything falls apart. And when you now, so if you're asking me if I'm, uh, if I'm over it, I can tell you very confidently that I, I am 100% over it. But another thing I can tell you very confidently is that there's a large p- population of San Antonio Mexicans who are not over it at all. And the reason I know this is because when Kawhi came back to San Antonio that first time, they played the, the Raptors come to San Antonio, um, he could have very easily sat the game out, but he didn't. He put his uniform on, he went out there and he played, and he gave us all the chance to boo him. And we just booed him like crazy. I was watching, much like you, at my uh, apartment by myself. I asked my wife, can you take the, the boys out of here? Like, I just need to watch this game all alone. I ordered all my food, I was having a great time. The Spurs win the game. DeMar has this great play at the end of the game. It was great. Uh, we're booing like crazy. And then afterward, Greg Popovich was basically like, he gives Kawhi a hug. And then he's talking to the media afterwards. And he's like, all right, you know, we did what we needed to do. This is over with. Is, is, that's like the subtext of what he was saying. So in my head, I'm like, well, okay, cool. If Pop says it's done, it's done. That's the leader. And then I went on Bill's show and I said as much. I was like, oh, yeah, we're over in San Antonio. And I never got so much hate mail in my life as I did after appearing on that thing. So are we over it? Some of us are, a bunch of us aren't. And I think it's just going to be like that forever, probably. Who's the best? Do you still watch every Spurs game or as many as you can? I watch a bunch of Spurs games, yes. I don't think every, I don't think everyone, but more than I miss. Who's the, who in, fi- in four years, who's the best player among the current San Antonio Spurs? Uh, you know what? DeJounte has my heart. He has my heart because the reason he has my heart is we played, we played Houston in the playoffs without Tony and Patrick Beverly was there. This is when he was on the Rockets. And I went to the game. I was living in Houston at the time. So every year the Spurs would go to Houston twice a year and I would take my sons. We would go watch the games and the playoffs came. So we go to watch and Patrick Beverly knows this is like DeJounte's first time in this sort of situation, and he's all over him. Just as soon as the game starts, uh, he gets a couple of steals on him. He's like very clearly bullying him. 
And that moment happens to, I think, every player who gets into the playoffs at some point. Like, you're supposed to be the guy, and then you run up against a guy who's not afraid of you, and now how are you going to react? So we had that moment, and I'm there at the game watching it, and I'm like, okay, let's see what DeJounte does. And he didn't back down. He wasn't afraid. He was one of the few players when we played Golden State without Kawhi that was like, putting his nose in there you know what I'm saying and so ever since then I have just been like I fully believe in DeJounte I'm just waiting for the next step to happen but that's my guy right there over under 1.5 all-star appearances do you bet the over for any current San Antonio Spur for their career for their career well I gotta take DeJounte just because I said all of that let me take a flyer let me take a flyer on Keldon I think I think he I think in three years I think we got I think we got one right there. I'm crossing my fingers real real tight. I'm a big Keldon Johnson fan. Uh All-Star, we'll see, but he's an interesting player. I love the way he plays. I mean, that mm-hmm. dude goes at the rim like it did something personal he's, to him. He's mad when he dunks it, and I love that about him. And I think when you have that in you, just on those plays when you show it, oh cool, like let's cultivate that and let's see let's see what happens when when you get in when you're like cooking in the fire of the playoffs. How you know, what does it look like? I'll tell you, I watched a lot of film to write this column uh, of all their young guys. The guy that I came out most excited to watch this season mm-hmm. is Devin is Devin Vassell. Because yeah. we didn't get we didn't get to see much of him doing really anything but shooting corner threes on offense last year. Uh-huh. And he shot those pretty well. But if you watch his drives, he has a little Mikhail Bridges in him. It's not as aggressive yet. He's not as polished yet. Pump go and he's so smooth rising up for like these little 12 foot jump shots and defensively, yeah, 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 yeah. defensively he's got a chance to be all defense level special i'm really interested to see if he if a if he starts i don't even know who the, what their starting lineup is going to be this year and b if he gets to do a little more on offense what he looks like because i think he can definitely be there mikhail bridges when they get mm-hmm. good and i'm interested to see if he can even do a little more than like current mikhail bridges can do i think he's got a chance to be a really interesting player what's what's the word on on josh primo i don't know anything about him i'm just like i love him because i love his last name is primo well everyone laughed at them for making that pick so early in the draft as you know but mm-hmm. you know it's it's all tbd like the spurs player development machine has a lot of respect around the league so there's always this fear of like do they see something we don't see like what (laughs) um, i love that (laughs) how how good do you think what what are your hopes for this season do you hope that do you hope they stink and you can get a top five pick or are you like on the popovich mindset of like let's grind out every win we can maybe we can sneak into the eighth seed like what are you hoping for that's what i'm hoping for i want i want us to get into the playoffs and cause a little bit of trouble six seven eight we we land somewhere around there because who in the West do you really have to be afraid of besides, like, the Lakers? You know what I'm saying? Beyond that, beyond that, the rest of them are, like, I'm not so afraid of them, really. The, the Nuggets, the, the Jazz, like, they're intimidating, but they're not, like, Lakers-level intimidating. Let's get in there. Let's see what Pop can do. Let's see what these new guys can do. Let's cause a little bit of trouble and see what happens. That's how I feel. Did you, do you pay attention to Vegas over underlines for win totals at all? No. What is the one for the Spurs? So I was very interested to, to see it when it came out. I am not a Vegas guy. I'm not a gambler guy. But they are an interesting reflection of like what people think is going to happen. And my assumption about the Spurs was everyone just kind of thinks 
Well, they're the Spurs. They'll Spurs their way into like 37 wins and 38 yeah, yeah, wins. Yeah. They'll just they'll just be Spursing around and end up right there. <laughs> and in my head, in my head, I look at their roster and I'm like, I think this team is kind of not very good uh-huh. and could win way fewer games than that. Vegas came out at 28 and a half and Ooh. 29 and a half. And Ooh. when that happened, I was like, right on Vegas. Because I think the Spurs, I think the Spurs are like one injury away from an accidental tanking season where they're like the fifth worst team in the NBA. I'm lower on the Spurs than consensus. And I think that over under nailed it. And I kind of think it wouldn't be like bad for their organization if they were a little worse than expected, got a little lottery luck. You know what I mean? Because that was the big criticism when they traded Kawhi for DeRozan. It was like, well, they're just going to be treading water for X amount of years when they could be getting Zion or Morant or whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah, I'm with that. It worked out pretty well for us the last time we got a we got a high level pick in the play. I mean, in the in the draft, you know, that worked out pretty good. So let's do let's go with that. I'll go with that. Okay, um, you let's do some fun <laughs> Spurs things. You, okay. One of the cool things about being at the top for so long is you get to have a lot of rivals. You get to have a lot of high stakes games against a lot of different teams. You get to see a lot of teams over and over again in the playoffs. Yeah. Who's your, who is your, I think I know the answer to this, but who is your Shea Serrano's most hated NBA San Antonio rival? Oh my goodness. So this is a, this is a toss up between two teams, between the Lakers and the Mavericks, which means it's Shaq and Kobe on one side versus Dirk on the other. Like those were the three guys that I was the most afraid of. And if I'm putting them in order, Kobe is at the top of this list. The most feared player ever in the history of Spurs rivals is Kobe Bryant. He just shot 100% from the field against us. He made every big shot. He had like that confidence about him where he just knew he was cooler and better than everybody else. And the, 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 like, the story that I tell anytime somebody asks me this is, you know how the, the teams do the, like, the, the, the like, Texas three-step when they come to Texas and they play like the Mavericks, the Rockets, and the Spurs? So they do that. And the Lakers were on that trip. And they played the Rockets first, and then we were next. And so they play the Rockets, and this is back when Shane Battier was on the team. And Shane Battier has this great defensive play against Kobe. Like, he has a great game against him, but there's one play in particular where he forces Kobe into, like, a tough fadeaway, and he's got his, Shane Battier's got his hand, like, all the way in his face. And everybody on TV was talking about how great, like, this is the best you can ever guard Kobe Bryant. It was like a talking point for a day and a half. And I remember sitting there watching that on TV and being terrified because I knew the next game Kobe was going to be pissed he was going to come out and and be like nobody can guard me on the planet and we were the next team on that he had to see and no other player ever made me feel like that specific kind of fear Kobe first then Shaq and then and then then Dirk because you need it to be somebody who's beaten you when it was the most important. Shaq and Kobe beat us in the playoffs. Dirk beat us in the playoffs. Like, James Harden was never that level for me because he never beat us in the playoffs. You know, like, we, like, you need the fear of having your head cut off by the other guy. Kobe is number one on that list. Was it hate? Did you ever hate or was it respect slash fear? Like, that's the, there's always those two different branches yeah. of fandom. Like, when you just really see a guy's first like free and you just grow to irrationally hate mm-hmm. everything about that. Like, look at his clothes. Look at the yeah, way yeah, yeah. he walks. He's got to yeah, be yeah. a jerk in real life. Was it ever like that or was it fear? It, it So it's, it's mostly fear, but it was like one of those where you don't want to say you're afraid. So you just say you, I sports hate this guy. I hate him. I hate him. I hate that he's trying to rap. I hate the the way that he wears his, uh, I don't know, his vests or whatever. 
like I hated that he's giving himself a nickname, but this is like a defense mechanism because I wrote a whole chapter in basketball and other things about this exact thing. Kobe was just the, like nobody ever made me feel like that. Not LeBron, not Mike, not not anybody. But when Kobe was coming, you were afraid. Um, the Lakers and the Spurs played five playoff series between 1999 and 2004, including mm -hmm. four straight from 01 to 04. Mm -hmm. um, 99 Spurs wiped them out. Yes. Wiped them out. And that was wiped like them out. The, the Lakers, Shaq and Kobe are immature. They're not ready. Like, that look was at this. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Sports Illustrated Substance Over Style cover with Timmy after they swept him. Like, that's exactly what that was. I know exactly what you're talking about. Swept him. Yeah. Then they go and hire Phil. And everything changes after that. Uh -oh. Then they then they beat you 01 and 02. Mm -hmm. You end the run. You end the three-peat in 03 mm -hmm. and go on to win the title. Mm -hmm. And then in 04 is the point four shot. They get us again. They get us again. I, what's interesting is like a lot of those series are sweeps or 4-1. Like, is there a classic series in there? Like, what's your what's the what's the best Lakers Spurs? moment is it point four is it the kobe offensive rebound put back in i think 2002 oh God. that one hurts so bad that one hurts so bad listen for for me the the classic series during that stretch was 2002 2003 spurs beat the lakers uh, in game six because by that point as you mentioned they had already beat it we didn't destroyed play destroyed them i believe in la right to end the series yeah, i think they yeah. blew them out we 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 didn't play him in 2000 because Timmy got hurt, so he sat out the playoffs. We lost to Phoenix that year. The next year, the, the Lakers already have a championship under their belt, so they know what it feels like. They know what it takes, and they just blow us out. 2000, 2001 is, I think, they're like the second or third best basketball team ever, that Lakers team. Um, so they had already beaten us a couple of years, and you knew by that point they were running the league, and it was like if you're going to win a championship, especially in the Western Conference, you're going to have to stare down this team. And so we went into that series, and we were, we were terrified, but we played really well. We were up, uh, we're up three games to two in game six. And in the early in the fourth quarter, I'll never forget this moment for the rest of my life. This is when I fell in love with Manu Ginobili forever. We're up by 12 points. There's maybe 10 minutes left in the game, right? And Matt Geiger is one of the, one of the analysts calling the game. And Matt Geiger is talking about how the Lakers are about to go on their run. They always I'm go on I'm guessing it's Matt, Matt Gukas, not Matt Geiger. Oh, yeah, yeah. My bad, my bad. That Matt. There's the same thing. Um, so so, so uh, Matt is doing this thing, and he's talking about the Lakers are going to go on this run. How is San Antonio going to react when they cut this lead to six, when they cut this lead to five? Do they have it in them to stand up to this team? He's doing this whole thing. And right at that moment, Manu's at the top of the key, crosses over Kobe. Kobe falls down, hands on the floor, hands on the floor, goes by Kobe into the lane. Shaq is there. He Euro steps around him. He sends Shaq into the and multiverse somewhere else Shaq is just out of the picture <laughs> and he lays it up just a, a clean beautiful layup right at the exact moment that Matt is talking about can the Spurs withstand this run he lays it up the other commentators freak out and then Matt very deadpan he just says well maybe not from that moment forward the the Spurs just ran the score up on him and we never had to worry about them chasing us down or anything like that and so if you're asking me What's like the, the most iconic moment in, during the, the stretch of playoff uh, appearances between those two teams? Like for me, that's what it was. Because we knew right then, we finally got to beat the Bullies. We, we, we found out who Manu was. It was awesome. It was so perfect. And then, as you mentioned, in like 
in exactly Lakers fashion, they just came back the next year and beat us again. And I was like, well, we're back at the beginning of all of this. Robert Ori and I were on the jump sometime during free agency, I think. And he was talking about the most painful moments of his career. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what shot he had labeled as the most painful. I can't, I can't remember. He's like, he's said, he was, we were talking off here. He's like, yeah, it's one of the two most painful moments of my career. And I was like, wait a second, what's the other one? He just goes, 0.4. Oh, man. That's my, that's my most heartbreaking basketball moment of my career. More than the Ray Allen three was that one right there. That one, because that happens. And then if that doesn't happen, do we win three in a row? Because we won in 03, we lost in 04, we won in 05 against the Pistons who beat the Lakers in the finals in 04. Like, that, I was watching that game with my dad. He had come up, I was in college. We're just sitting there. Uh, Timmy hits that goofy fadeaway over Shaq at goofy, the top of the key. Goofy, goofy, to get them To get them... To get Banked, them the one right? point Didn't he lead. bank it? Didn't he bank no, it? No, no. It hits the back of the rim and drops straight down. Okay. Right. All right. I was so mad at the, the shot clock operator for not just run the clock out. What are you doing? Why do you? But he stops it. They, the, me and my dad are losing our mind. We're screaming. Laramie's in the, in the room on the phone with her sister, I think. We're screaming, going crazy. And I'm like, oh, Lord, please just don't let anything stupid happen. And then they throw it into fish. He turns around. He hits the shot. And then he runs off the court. And me and my dad were just in dead silence. Just the saddest I have ever been. And then again, because they're the Lakers, Shaq, after the game, he's like, oh, one lucky shot deserves another one. Let me twist that knife a little bit. And if I remember correctly, Derek Fisher showed up and he had like a .4 t-shirt on afterwards at some point. And I was like, God, these guys, these guys are just here to destroy my whole everything. This is terrible. I mean, speaking of let the clock run out, I mean, this is the arena where there are bats sometimes. I mean, come on. It, and a decade later, man, I don't, I don't want to come out and say it outright. They shut the air conditioning off on hey, LeBron a decade later. Like any, anything to win. Say it. Anything to win. Popovich is coaching. You've got to coach the whole, the whole stadium. So everyone, we, we always talk about the Heat-Spurs finals, two of my favorite series ever, even though 2014 was a 4-1, just whitewash. It was still an epic, yeah. memorable series. Those two teams, the personalities, mm-hmm. everything was just perfect in those series. My favorite Spurs game from that era it might might be Game Six against Oklahoma City in the 2014 yes. Conference Finals. Yes, I can talk about my memories from that game. The Spurs are up three-two. Tony mm-hmm. Parker sprains his ankle in the first half. Mm-hmm. They're at Oklahoma City, and I can tell mm-hmm. you without a shadow of a doubt that Spurs team was so worried about Oklahoma City and so respected them. And remember, the Spurs went up 2-0. Ibaka was out for the first two games of the series. Ibaka yeah. comes back, the thunderstorm, mm-hmm. back to tie the series. And I remember that was the team that was so determined to avenge the Ray Allen game, to come yeah. back, to collect itself, pick itself up off the mat and say, we're, we're using that as fuel for one last one, whatever, one more run at Tim, Manu, Tony, whatever, glory. They, then the Thunder punched back, and those, those Spurs teams – really feared and respected what the Thunder could do to them athletically. It was a tough matchup for them. And I remember just hearing doubt in some of the Spurs people's minds after yeah. that, after game four. So then they squeak out game five, game six in Oklahoma City. What do you remember from that game? Dude, I watched that game like once a week. The highlights are on on YouTube. You could watch the whole fourth quarter of the last eight minutes or whatever. I, rem- I So I remember... Uh, we, we, this is after the, the Thunder had beat us in the playoffs already. 2012, we went up 2-0 on them. Tony Parker was going nuts that season. And then they chased us down after that. And it was like, we always, 
we always struggled against them. They, you had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. The Spurs historically have had a hard time with really athletic guards, um, and he just was the most athletic guard. He terrorized us, and Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant. So, yeah, we were, we were horrified of that game. Um, what I remember is near the end, Tim Duncan put in Serge Ibaka in a blender for like 10 minutes straight. I remember that. I remember the Spurs are down two. They're running a play. Uh, and, and the commentator, I can't remember who the commentator was, but he was like, it might have been, oh, I think it was, it was Reggie. And he, he was like, watch for a three on this on this play because the Spurs want to get out of here, win or lose. Yes, like, he, it, you I know? watched, yeah. watched <laughs> yeah. it today. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they run, the, they run the play. Manu comes off the screen. And in very poetic fashion, Timmy sets a, a, a monstrously illegal pick, a moving pick on Derek Fisher of all people. Derek Fisher reacts like he's got shot by a shotgun in the chest, just goes tumbling down. Manu pulls up for the three, he hits it. We don't win the game right there, though. Like, it ends up going to overtime. Russ uh, hits that's two what, free throws to send mm -hmm. it to overtime. Russ hits the free throws. Um, Kawhi has the great, like, block steal on, the, on the, the play at the end. They throw it down to Timmy in the post, and he does the old man river walk. You have Reggie giving that great call where he just backs down Reggie Jackson, and then Russ tries to come in at the last second to put him up three. And then it was it just you talk about relief. One time, one of my editors told me happiness is just relief, and that's exactly what it felt like afterward. What I wanted to do is I wanted to go to Oklahoma City on book tour and just play the whole fourth quarter on like the side of a building while I was there. It was so much fun to watch. I think I think that might be my favorite game of like that that stretch of like Spurs years. It just felt so, so good. So I love that game both because those two teams are just such important teams in the last 20 years of NBA history and mm -hmm. to watch them go against each other and at the, at the Thunder being young and the Spurs being old, it was just awesome. So that game has what I've called the ultimate Spurs-gasm play, which is the Ginobili yeah, pick and yeah, roll, yeah. that touch pass, touch pass, touch pass, Diaw three. To Boris in the corner. Yep. Yeah. And that three's in the air. That three's in the air. And you're everyone in the world watching that game except Thunder fans is thinking, mother you better make that shot because this <laughs> passing is so spectacular. You, but but the, the sequence, and it reminds me of like what happened in, in Game 7 of Cleveland-Golden State in 2016 when the action just kept going for so long without a stoppage. Yeah. That's when basketball in a big game becomes this like mix of tension and euphoria that just washes over you and you mm -hmm. are just transported into a space. So less than a minute to go in overtime. And by the way, as as, Steve, as, as I think it was um, Reggie Miller said to watch for a three, right? The yeah. whole thinking was if this goes to overtime, edge to the home team, edge yeah. to the young team, edge mm -hmm. to the team that doesn't have his all-star point guard injured like Tony Parker was. So it goes to overtime. Spurs are up one. Manu crosses somebody up and goes up for a layup to put uh, up goaltend. Goaltend. Ibaka knocks it off, <laughs> like swats it against the backboard, and yeah. the block bounces out and ignites oh, yeah, a yeah, fast yeah. break. Yeah. So so already it's a spectacular block, and you're out here, and you're like, oh, my God, what a, oh, what a play. And then the fast <laughs> break, you have no time to rest. No time to rest. Here comes uh -huh. the thunder. Three here comes on Russ. One, fast Woo. break. Here comes Russ. Here comes Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson passes it to Russ, goes up for the layup. Kawhi just takes the thing out of the air. Doesn't Come on. block it. Come just on. Catches it, catches it. And you're like, wait a second. I barely had time to react to Serge <laughs> What the f 
just, what did this dude just do? That's yeah, Russell yeah, yeah. Westbrook. He took it out of the air, and then the Spurs run the clock, come down, give it to Tim Duncan on mm-hmm. the left block. As you said, he turns around, and hits the rim, bounces up, bounces Backboard. in, and it's Ooh. and and Thunder call timeout on the far sideline. Young Danny Green, who's just happy to be there, I can't believe this is going crazy. And Tim Duncan, after making the shot. Rare display of emotion. Pulls the double his fist. Jersey over uh, his yeah, mouth yeah. Kind of goes like, and he yeah. catches himself. He's like too soon, but you can tell how much that shot uh-huh. hits him because he knew if we can get by this team, we have our chance to avenge the Heat thing. And if we don't get by this team, that Ray Allen shot and that Finals loss becomes like doubly devastating yes. because we don't even get a chance at it again. That is a hundred percent correct. When they went back and beat the team that beat them like that, it turned that Ray Allen moment, this like gaping wound, into a cool battle scar to be like, we lived through that and we came back and we, 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 we killed the lion who, who like attacked us. You know what I'm saying? The, Bor- the Boris Diaw play that you mentioned, there's this great clip on the, on the 2003 Spurs Championship DVD when they like interview the players afterward and they put all the whole footage together. And they're talking to David Robinson about they played the the Lakers that year and we had we had them down by like 20 and they came back and Robert Ory missed a wide open three to win the game at the buzzer like it, it it goes as far in as it can go and then it pops out and they're talking to David Robinson about it and he says when you win a championship there's always like one or two things that happen that let you know ahead of time this is our year and when when that shot bobbled out they knew they were going to win the title that year and when I was watching that Thunder play, and they go, it's just like pass, 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 swish, wide open three. I was like, oh, we're winning the title this year because we're playing basketball in a way that nobody else can play right now. We're going to win. What a, what, a great, what a great question that was. This is my favorite podcast ever. I have so last much fun. One, <laughs> last one, and I'll let you go. What, just give, me, give me one, one nerd out with me a little bit because I know mm-hmm. you can nerd out about basketball. Give me mm-hmm. one thing you're watching from, like, now the young guys are here. It's their team. There's no crutch. There's no DeRozan crutch. There's no Aldridge crutch. Like, we know how the Spurs have played. Tons of long twos. Pace depends on who's in the game. Like, now you get to see these guys play. What do you want to see? What's one thing you want to see either end of the floor? Like, what's one thing if you get to the end of the season, this happened, that's a successful season because this happened? You know, my, my instinct here is to talk about uh, Derek White. Because after he had that big game in Denver, every, in the playoffs, in, in, on the road, 36 points or something like that, everybody in San Antonio or like my little circle, we were like, oh, he made the leap. Like that's always what we're looking for is you get in the playoffs and see what they're going to do, and then he does that thing. If we get another Derek White moment like that, that's going to feel great. Uh, that's what like my gut is telling me. But I think, I think really what I want to see is I want to see, see Lonnie become like the feature player that we're all hoping He's going to become because he'll do one or two things a game when you're like, holy, like, can you do that more? Can you do that more often? That's that's really what like the difference is between the top, top level and like everybody else is like with Derek White, for example, he has that big game in Denver and then they start scheming against him and he doesn't do it again for a while. And you're like, I want to see Lonnie have the big moment and then they scheme against him and then Lonnie does it again. And if we get if we get just it could be anybody, honestly, but if we get one person, if we get Lonnie to do that this season, I'm going to feel pretty good about what the, what the future has for us. If nobody does it, then it's going to be, it feels like it could be some dark years. Well, 
Look, Spurs haven't had a lot of dark years. We'll see how this year goes. I don't even need to tell people where to find Chase Serrano. They all know how to find Chase Serrano. All your books are number one on the bestseller list. It's ridiculous. The No Skips podcast <laughs> is, is out weekly, right? You're doing weekly episodes. Yeah, every Thursday. Thank you. Yeah, you're a busy man. You got all the you got all those kids running around your house. Thank you for taking a little time to indul- <laughs> indulge me on this podcast. Chase Serrano, it's good to see you. If Grantland feels like 15 years ago, it's not that long ago. It's good to see you, though. It feels like a long time ago, but it's been so cool. What we all knew this was going to happen with your career, by the way. I don't know if you, I don't know if you had a sense of it, but us watching, we knew, you know when we knew. We just talked about the moment when you knew you're going to win a championship. This is when we knew Zach Lowe was going to be a star. We were all, this was years ago. We were all in Las Vegas Summer League. I was hanging out with Jason Concepcion. We're in the arena just like, ooh, I hope Carl Anthony Towns does a cool dunk today or whatever, just having a good time. <laughs> and we're, like, that's how Jason and I watch basketball. And then we're like, where's Zach? I know Zach is here somewhere. And then like off in the corner in the shadows of the stadium in the back pillars, there's like Zach Lowe hobnobbing with any important NBA person you could think of. And we're like, oh, Zach does this different than the rest of us. Zach's going to be a star. So we stop, knew. stop. So great stop job. It. Great job stop on you. It. We're rooting for you. Keep going, Zach. Keep going. Shea Serrano, thank you for <laughs> indulging me in our mutual love of Manu and, uh, and the Spurs, your love of the Spurs. It's great to see you. I'll talk to you soon. Buddy. All right, brother. Thanks.